All right, everyone. Welcome back to the very second episode of the Talent Trellis podcast, the show where we dive deep into the journeys of remarkable entrepreneurs. Today, we are thrilled to have Ricky Fung, the co-founder of Chronic Inc., joining us. Chronic Inc. is not just any tattoo studio. It's a testament to artistic excellence and innovation in the heart of Toronto. Starting from a modest 300-square-foot space in Pacific Mall, Chronic Inc. has blossomed into one of the city's most reputable custom tattoo parlors, famed for its neo-traditional Asian ink. Under Ricky's visionary leadership, the studio has expanded its footprint, included a notable spot in the historic Dominion Bank building, marking its foray into Toronto's bustling downtown scene. With close to 100 awards under its belt since its 2010 inception, Chronic Inc. is a story of passion, creativity, and relentless pursuit of mastery in the art of tattooing. Ricky's journey from a small cubicle to leading a team of over 45 award-winning artists is not just inspiring, but also a remarkable lesson in entrepreneurship and the power of community in the creative industry. Today, we'll uncover the story behind Ricky's success, his inspirations, and what it takes to build a brand that resonates with art lovers across the globe. So let's get started. Ricky, thank you so much for having us on, man. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Not bad. PA day, but it's it's good. Exactly. It's finally snowing outside. It's uh, It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, as I were to say. Yeah, like my kids are going to come rumbling in here anytime soon, but it's good. That's we'll get, fantastic. We'll what we can. We get two guests for the three guests for the price of one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. We would love to dive right into it. So we like to kind of go through the entire journey of the entrepreneur from the childhood up until kind of what really inspired them to go forward. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your childhood. What were you like? What kinds of things were you interested in? So um, I think I was always a very inquisitive child um i don't think my outsized ambition began until probably since i came to canada which i was which was nine so i think prior to that i was just inquisitive um, was always asking questions um, but i didn't think i was going to be an entrepreneur in fact you know i was raised in hong kong so a lot of that culture isn't about entrepreneurship isn't about like the canadian or american dream as sort of redefine it Mm-hmm. It's very much like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. So like be a professional and have like a steady job. And so like I feel like that was the culture back in Hong Kong in the 1980s. And would you say that in that culture from what I know, and I don't know too much, but I've, I've heard like of Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers. And he, and he had this one really particular example. He, he says that because the culture of, say, in China is much more... Um, work orientated and much more disciplined in that regard would you say like that kind of contributed to some of your work ethic down the line for sure but my parents were both very hard workers so i'm sure that has a lot to do with it like there's always this argument between like nature and nurture mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of dna that that that's natural and that, that plays a huge role but having role models around you from an early age i think obviously has a significant impact on how you end up being. So like, I think I was always very hardworking. Like my dad's one of the hardest working people I know. Like he'll wake up at six o'clock and he won't come home till like six, seven o'clock from work. Like he'll work 12 hour days. And you were seeing that day in, day out, seeing him go out in the morning or maybe not even seeing him at all and then seeing him come back late at night. Yeah, and so, so I was super young back then. And so that maybe didn't leave such a obvious impression on me until later in my life when I look back on it. But I'm sure that's 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 been imprinted on me in some way, right? And then so when I moved here, my dad had to go back to Hong Kong to work. Just couldn't find work here. He's an aircraft engineer, but 
over here, I think we didn't have the licensing. Mm -hmm. So like he, he wasn't an engineer anymore, right? So uh, we couldn't find work to support us. So he went back to Hong Kong like so many Hong Kong to Canada families do. Um, and yeah, that was tough, right? So watching him uh, not being part of the family and just having him work overseas and just ship us money, like mm -hmm. that does something to your brain, right? Like someone can't be with you because they have to work for money to support you, support your living. So Got you start it. to understand like how important money is to like the function of life got it got it got it it's almost like this early experience with your father and the hard working it's kind of setting the the foundation for how you view money in a different way per se yeah it's probably like a not the healthiest way to view money but that that was the reality you know mm -hmm. and so it's like if we don't have money you don't get anything done and that's why your dad's not here got it got it got and it so i'm sure that has um again plays a certain role in how I think about money and its function and how I want sort of like my financial situation to look like as I get older, right? Exactly. So because now that you have kid, you have two kids, probably uh, I'm under the impression that this had such a strong impact on you that you don't want your kids to experience the same thing. You want to be there for them. And you, you know that money is one of the reasons uh, or, or how you could be there for them. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah, it's very paradoxical. Like, so a part of me want them to have... I, the part of me will so my early experience ensures that I will never be apart from them mm -hmm. because of, you know my dad was apart from me and I, re I remember how painful that was mm -hmm. and so that's something that will never happen regardless of how little or how much money we have got it so like I can't see myself you tell me oh well you can go get a billion dollars in Saudi Arabia I'm not leaving mm -hmm. like unless I can bring my whole family and then that's like a good decision for us I'm not leaving my kids for no amount of money and that is that is uh I think also a big part of the Asian culture, you guys stay to stick together a lot more and everyone lives together. Cause I know from me, from Ukraine, it's, it's a little bit like that as well. Obviously less here, but yeah, I think we, we, we do a lot to um, support each other, even as in our old ages, like you don't see a lot of, I mean, you do actually see a lot of Asians in senior homes, but Asians are probably more prone to also bring their families into their home and continue to live with them into their old age. So I'm not sure you see that in every culture. Um, and then the other paradoxical part that I was talking about earlier is that while I want my kids to understand how important money is, because, you know, you obviously can't do, there, there are things you just can't do without it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be not present when I'm with them, constantly chasing money. Got so it. I don't want to be on my phone working as much as I can while I'm with them. Mm -hmm. Because I want them to have a very precise understanding of, of money and then a precise understanding of what it means to be like present with the people you love. So like, it's very they kind of work against each other, you know, like I got to be very hardworking, but I got to make sure I have my boundaries. I like what you said about presence. I think being, being present within any situation, whether that be with your family or with, with your work, being present with whatever you are doing seems to be like one of the key, key components of being successful at that, paying full attention to it while you're working there. Yeah, I would say output is very important. So because we live in a world where I think, um, like even just think about social media, you know, like it isn't just one platform. So when we started Chronic, it was just Facebook. Mm -hmm. So it's like easy, right? You put all your energy into one platform and you learn everything about one platform. And then, you know, you have to do Twitter and then you have to do Vine and then you have to do Instagram and then you have to do Snapchat and then you have to do TikTok. You have dance, you have to do YouTube, you have to do long format. And so... You obviously can't scale your team 
as quickly or as nimble as these changes that ha that's happening, you know, outside. And so output becomes like an important part of how you measure, right? We got we got to make sure we have one post for every single platform every other day or like every day, you know? And then so that type of speed and pace kind of forces you to, makes it very hard for you to be present. Got it. Right, because you want to be present in every platform. But being present means you got to be very focused. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of work against each other, you know? And so I think it's very important to be, to have a high output because I think for, for, for success you do need it. Mm -hmm. But you have to be present and you have to make sure that you're focused within a certain amount of time blocking. And while we're on this topic, what are some of the techniques or strategies that uh, that have helped you kind of balance that dichotomy as you've been speaking about? Is there anything that helps you keep centered? So from like all? a technology, te like technological perspective, um, time blocking on my calendar, and that's key, really important. Um, contextual switches, because we do own a few businesses, mm -hmm. are tough, so I try now to have um, dates. So since I own um, about there's there's about four companies that I actively work on. I try to have like chronic ink days, and then I try to have like a books open day. I try to have like a pierced day. I try to Got have it. like a you know another day. You know, so I try to have as little contextual switches as possible. But you have to be obviously um, flexible to other people's calendars. You know, that's actually very valuable, even for the position that I'm at right now, because I find a lot throughout my day, I am doing like a lot of context switches, working on a lot of different things. And I noticed that my focus isn't as, as much. So I have started to do like Fridays is only, only uh, content, but that's very interesting. I think that's actually very useful for, for anyone. Yeah. I think you have to understand your personality. So like I've heard entrepreneurs that can't stay focused on one thing for too long. Like they can't do like you know, Elon, I've heard him talk about it. Like, I can't, like, he, he doesn't, he, he actually excels in the chaos. He excels in the contextual switches. And I don't know if he can focus, like, 12 hours on one Raptor engine, for example. You know, and I've had my creative, our brand director, and he's like, I can't look at one thing for over, like, four or five hours. So he actually benefits from switching his mind from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. Me, personally, I like to do them in, in blocks. So I find two to three hours is perfect for me on one particular task. And because my companies are a little bit more evolved, generally I'm, I'm mostly doing like strategy or, or sort of like planning our next moves and, and stuff. So I'm not in the weeds as much. So two to three hours is plenty for me to do what I have to do to set up what that task is about. Got it. Right. And so that, that, that helps. Um, and I find, uh, but I do find that concentrating all on one day is really helpful because then you never know when the next idea is going to come. But that idea doesn't come if you don't allow the space for it to like just happen. Yes. it's. And I think I know what you're talking about. It's almost like if your mind is too preoccupied with a certain task, you don't have like the mental capacity to be able to even tune into the other ideas. I think what you touched upon earlier is actually very interesting. You said that, and everyone always says this, but you said you have to really know yourself. And I think that's absolutely key because right now, like from a, from a younger entrepreneur, what I'm finding is that in my own personal struggle, it's, it's very difficult to kind of focus in on what you should be doing just because there's so much content out there about hustle culture or whatever. So for me, that has helped a lot like being self-aware and accepting my kind of faults throughout it all. So what kind of process did you go through to kind of learn about yourself and how did you, and how did you like manage that kind of, um, 
if you know what I mean. I think I was like, but by nature, I'm fairly, um, I'm very self-critical. So that lends itself to be very, well, you have to be self-aware to be self-critical. Yes. So I think just naturally that, that occurred for me a little bit easier maybe than some others who, who aren't, uh, you know, maybe have those instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I think when you measure things, you, you start to see where you win and where you lose. And if you're touching a lot of things and they're successful, then you kind of understand that you're good at those things. Got so um, in the early days of Chronic, I was in charge of social and marketing and, um, and pretty much everything under the sun. And I was dealing with HR. And I was dealing a little bit with accounting, you know, with real estate acquisitions, talent, and all of that stuff. And if there was one thing I think we did reasonably well was marketing early on, like Chronic mm-hmm. is a brand that, you know, maybe many recognize across the country as being one of the premium tattoo brands. Yeah. And, I, and I had my fingerprints all over that. And so like I knew then that that was something I was decent at. Got and it. then so as the business continues to evolve, then I now start to put in people in other situations where I didn't have like a tremendous amount of success. Understood, understood. So you start to delegate out after. And I think you touched on this. I, I agree that... The saying that I like to live by is like, whatever gets measured gets managed. So were you, do you tend to measure a lot of things to see like how you're, how you're performing in them or how do you measure your success within them? Like personally or the team? Personally or the team or? Yeah, we measure everything almost like a little too much, maybe even almost a little too micromanaging. But um, I think it's important to have insights into every part of your business. Like your measurements can have measurements. But yeah. it's just really how at some point you realize like, if I go any deeper, is it really going to move the needle? So Got then it. you stop, right? So I'm always a huge fan of, you know, even businesses at large scale, you like, there's like an optimal number where the optimiz- optimizations thereafter aren't really worth another human being mm-hmm. or like another set of hands or another set of minds on it. So even even the largest companies, you could go in and nitpick and be like, oh, you're not measuring this. Like you could do better on this. But I think the best entrepreneurs will instinctively and through data have a pretty good understanding of what makes the move really moves the needle. And you pursue that with most of your energy and most of your talent. So it's it's if I can understand correctly, it's you measure the data and then through the data, it'll kind of show you what the next logical path is to go. Yeah, because you can improve every facet of your business. Like if you just want to like, we're a tattoo studio, but if you just want to talk about like, what is the most important thing? Well, it could be HR. It, it, might, it might not be marketing. Like you can, you can really say the best artists market themselves. 100%. Right. And then so you could really go into a deep dive of like, how crazy is this HR department going to be? How crazy is recruiting process going to be? And how do you measure the success of your recruiting? You know, and so mm-hmm. you can go in a rabbit hole. Like you could, you could build out an HR department with fifty people. Yeah, yeah. You know, but at what point does that seem like it's not helping? Hundred percent. And though you try to optimize against your margins, against your revenue, you know, against your projections. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. I have another question here that I was really interested in. Who were some of your early role models growing up, or and how did they influence you? Do you feel? How early are we talking? Let's just, or any kind of role models you're thinking. Um, I think from a life perspective, my mom and my dad, for sure. Um, they're very honorable, hardworking people. And so in that sense, I think I have my um, 
like honor, hard work, loyalty, ethics. I think those I got from my parents mm -hmm. and they kind of provide the foundation to own like a compassion and empathetic business, which I think is important also. Um, a lot of times that's ignored or understated because most people think you have to be ruthless to win. Yeah. I don't, I think, I don't think so. Like I think you have to employ kindness to win. I think you can win in multiple ways, but I prefer this. Um, and then from like a business perspective, probably the guy right behind my face, Steve was probably like, yeah, yeah, he was just, um, I was just a huge Apple fan, I think in the early days, um, just the way they made their products feel very magical. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously I'm 42 now, so I've probably been a fan for 20 years, you know? Yeah. And so I was obviously a lot more easily influenced <laughs> yeah, at a yeah. younger age. Um, that's a good influence. Like out of, out of all people to be influenced by, it's good that it was a business. Yeah. And the way he made you feel that there's a huge emotional connection mm -hmm. to either a product or service that they were doing, um, I think cannot be stressed more. I think um, there's a few ways you can go about building your brand mm -hmm. and, and, and gaining traction and earning revenue, but this is the most long lasting way. Got it. Got it. And uh, can you take us back to the beginning or the growth of Chronic Ink? So what really inspired you to enter the world of tattoo artistry and eventually co-found Chronic Ink? It's funny, actually, because it was um, the front page of a Yahoo ad. So I don't know, Yahoo, like most of your viewers are not going to know Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, Yahoo. <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, but it was like a Caucasian girl. She had like a half-sleeve colored tattoo. Um, she looked like your girl next door. She had sleeveless shirt scarf around her neck looking very much like the girl next door very mm -hmm. comfortable looking but back then we're talking 2007 i think and you don't see a lot of tattooed or modified people on advertisements no. let alone like major um, publications or platforms and there was still a bit of a stigma around the whole thing <laughs> yeah and I, and I always knew that the u.s kind of in terms of trends sort of like left canada by a few years yeah. And so I saw that. I'm like, wow, tattoos are going to be huge. Because they were big in the States first? Well, I've never seen it on the front page of Yahoo. Like that's as big. Like oh, the front page of saying. Yahoo was like the place. Yes. That's yes. where you got like weather. That's where you got financial news. That's where you got like, you know, just news in general. There was just like a lot going on on the front page of Yahoo in 2007. Mm -hmm. You know, Google wasn't like the dominant force that they were in 2007. No, no. They were still, they were still yeah, competing. Exactly. Ask.com was still a thing. If you remember. Yeah, exactly. And so... When I saw that, I'm like, wow, tattoos are going to be huge because they just put this girl on the front page and she has a tattoo and I've never seen that, you know? So you definitely didn't see any ads in Canada with tattooed people on it. But what made you like link that to, to like starting a tattoo business specifically? Because I, because a million different people could, could have saw that, like, okay, cool. But what, so, so how did this like spark the idea in your brain? I think entrepreneurs are natural opportunists. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, if the opportunity aligns with your passion, it becomes more powerful. And I think that's always the best practice. You hear every entrepreneur give advice. It's like, you know, chase what you're passionate about, do what you're passionate about. But, you know, I don't know how many businesses there are in this world. Let's call that X. I would say less than 20% of, of that X are people doing what they're passionate about. Yes. Even as entrepreneurs. Yeah, I don't think that percentage of passion linking to your job 
changes whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you are working for someone else. Yeah. And so yeah. for me, I wasn't supremely passionate about tattoos, but I made the connection very quickly that this is like uh, an underserved, under disrupted um, industry that's about to blow up. And so, and also in your 20s, I think back in that day, like back in 2007, obviously now um, people are much more aware that you should be chasing your dreams as mm-hmm. opposed to like money and the money will follow. I feel like that's kind of trend right now. But back then, an entrepreneur was just like, like, how can I build like a good business? Yes. Yeah. I think you know? definitely, I think you're right. It's definitely more towards the, the dream siding, the dream of it. But I also find that nowadays, because it's more about following your dreams, people are selling people's dreams in the hopes of like starting all these like new businesses, start a marketing agency with me, start this with me. So, but I also agree with you. I don't think passion is, is a hundred percent required. Yeah, like there's lots of people who've built successful restaurants. They're not super passionate about. Yeah. How do you get passionate about waking up at six o'clock, like doing breakfast, lunch, dinner service, and then going home sleeping? And we're doing that all over again. Like you were telling me, every successful restaurant has a guy that's super passionate about doing that. No. However, I think when you couple passion with talent, with vision, with like timing and the market and all of those things, then yeah, it's supremely powerful. And like, I also don't think passion is like a straight line. Yeah, you can become, you can start off being passionate about something and become unpassionate about it very quickly, mm-hmm. and then you can become absolutely disinterested in something, but then become very passionate about it over time. It's just yeah. like your studies or like your girlfriend or like sports. You don't like the exact same things you did five, ten years ago, right? Your hobbies have changed. Your sports have changed. The way you view people have changed. So I think passion is like a moving thing. So it's almost like passions are like, they come in waves and it's almost better from what, if I understand correctly, it's almost better to, um, like, even when you're working out, you're not going to want to go to the gym every single day, but you do it anyway. So it's, so it's, it can start with passion, which may eventually fade, but it's just having the discipline to go, to go through with it. So do you have, and from my perspective to go through with it requires like a pretty strong why, do you have a sort of why you do all this? What makes you get up in the morning? What does all the how how does that tie into um, everything? Yeah, and I think that's also very fluid. So I was obviously a very ambitious kid. So once, um, I think once I turned about, I would say like right around like high school, I couldn't go into a restaurant and not count how many seats there were, not try to guess like the average checkout size, not try to guess their EBITDA. I didn't know the term back then, but like I would be like, oh, how much rent would this be? You know, like, how many staff is there? I would count. Or like, how much is going to get paid? Okay, well, back then, I think it was like, oh, like 12 bucks an hour. I can't remember. Like, $8 an hour, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was. And I'd try to calculate, well, they have 30 tables. You know, like, this noodles cost like eight ninety nine. Yeah. And like, how much with the average size? So, like, I was already doing calculations like that everywhere I went. So, you were, so, you were literally basically trying to figure out how they're making the money. How I could, I, how could I make it better? So, your mind is almost, was tuned towards like this uh this entrepreneurship yeah it's like it's like an interest thing yeah you know much like people would be interested in like astrology got it you know like you'd pick up a a telescope and be like oh like that's so cool you know like check out this star or whatever you know or you'd pick up the game of chess and you'd like go read a chess book and like study the moves like whatever your interest was that was my interest that's so fascinating because i was at i also do something similar to this but and you realize so many little things and like why they are the way that they are 
Like I was walking into the store one time and I turned right. And I was like, wait, why did I turn right? Because then I look at other people, they're all turning right. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Well, why is this happening? And then um, I noticed that people are turning right. And then I'm like, okay, look, let me look at the price on the side of the right. And they're all more expensive, the most expensive items. I'm okay, where are they turning right? And I realized it because up front in the store is the clerk and no one wants to lock eyes with the clerk and have that awkward exchange. So it's like, it's interesting how if you start looking at this, so there's like a different, there's a flow and how everything is and all this. Yeah, that's awesome. So what were some of the biggest challenges you faced while establishing Chronic Inc? And how did you go about overcoming them? I think um, there's tons of challenges. Um, one that stands out to you, one that really uh, maybe resonated with you emotionally per se. I think the hardest thing for us was feeling like we deserved. Because, so like, like we deserved to be there, you know, like yeah. feeling like we were one of the best studios mm-hmm. or feeling like we're on a path to get there. And like, I'm not trying to be hocus pocus and be like, oh, like I'm all touchy feely and like what, like what does business have to do with that? But like the belief that like you can be really good. Because I think you can talk about like financial challenges, obviously like raising money to build your shop. Yeah. You can talk about like talent acquisition problems. You know, you're a new shop. Nobody wants to work for you. How do you do it? You know, we don't have any clients. You know, how do you get clients? Mm-hmm. But those, all of those challenges, I think are like on par with each other in terms of difficulty. Yes. The one, and then, but once you believe, if you believe you can solve a problem, you'll most likely solve it. Like we're not, I'm not building rockets to Mars. Yeah. Where like, there's like a real technological challenge. If I don't acquire a certain engineer, I'm not going to be able to figure that out. Like got it. our challenges were challenges that other service businesses have solved a thousand times. Mm. I might not have solved them, but other people have. So if I knew where to look and if I believed, then it's very likely that I would end up overcoming that challenge over time with perseverance. I think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And so I think it's just believing in yourself. So once you believe in yourself, every challenge becomes way less significant. And I think that's very interesting you say that because I've had this, I've had this feeling going into business where business isn't like, it's more of an emotional journey than it is anything else. Like, as you said, as you start to kind of believe in yourself, whether you did that by actually doing the work or meditating or however, or however you do, that's the real challenge. It's not so much because anyone can figure out talent acquisition once you, once you get going, but it's the belief. So how did you go about acquiring that belief? Or do you just do the actions that you know you had to be do and it kind of caught up with you? Or how did you get over the imposter syndrome kind of? So I think I'm lucky. I think in a sense, I was born with a very stubborn personality. So Chronic King has been around for 15 years. Um, the other business that I was in didn't get profitable for about nine years. So it kind of overlapped a little with Chronic's time. Yeah. Um, Pierce has been around ever since 2017. So that's like six, seven years. Um, Books Open, which is the company we're doing, is three years in. Like And like, I just don't like to give in or give up. And so like, I think a lot of that I have to thank my parents for just giving me that gene because mm-hmm. I do think some of it is at birth. Yeah, you know, for sure. And then when you couple not giving up to just being very aware and like working very hard, then if you work very hard and you're very aware and you won't give up, then naturally you just start to like overcome challenges, little ones. And when you start overcoming challenges, 
then you're like, oh shit, like I can do this. You're like building the momentum. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you stick with it long enough, most of the time, you'd be like, cool. It's like my daughter yesterday. Like she, she has a little camera that she carries around. And all of a sudden she was like, the screen is black. She's like, I can't, I can't, what the hell is going on? Yeah. She started freaking out. And I'm like, yo, take it easy. Just like look at it and just figure it out. Yeah. And then so she realized that she had stuck one of the stickers on the outside of the lens. And that's, that's why the screen went black. So she couldn't see anything. She just stuck a sticker on it. Mm-hmm. But that didn't take her that long to figure out. It took her like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. But then if you do that over and over and over again, by the sixth or seventh time, you're not going to freak out. You're just going to be like, oh, got a problem. Solve it. Solve it, yeah. Right? And then you start to build that self-confidence. And another thing that happened to us was, so I don't know, this is actually on our website. So I have a tattoo on my arm. Mm-hmm. It's from uh, one of my co-founders. His name is Tristan. Yep. One of the best tattoo artists in the world. Um, he's no longer with the company, but you know, him and I really <laughs> had like a pretty lucky encounter at one of the early conventions. So it was like the first convention, tattoo convention we ever went to. Nobody knew him. Nobody knew me. Um, we were placed by the washroom. <laughs> like we had no clients. It was my birthday, actually. Wow. And we're like, fuck, you know, we can't just look, sit here and look like we have nothing to do. So I'm like, why don't you tattoo me? He's like, cool. So he, he literally didn't really ask me what I want. And he just took out a marker and started drawing on my arm. But awesome. I've, I've known him to be like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. You just do whatever you want. Like, I'm here. I'm, I'm all in for the company. So I don't even care what I'm getting. As long as you're about it, we look like we're doing something, then let's do it. Because it's better than just sitting here twiddling our thumbs and have no clients and look like schmucks, you know? 100%. So then he did this tattoo for me. And I can see how good it was. Sort of like people, like just like. Yeah, yeah. And also, all the tattoo artists from the convention were coming around saying, whoa, like, look at that. And like, there were guys like, how long have you been tattooing Tristan? He's like, two years. And they're like, fuck. (laughs) So like, I knew it was good. But I didn't really know how good, right? Until it was finished and I could kind of see what was going on. It was very complex. And so we went up for um, a competition called Tattoo of the Day. And um, it was, so we were were the finalists. So at the the end of it, it was us and a person, I think, from Finland. And they were like, we can't decide. Both of you guys are equally good. I'm like, there's only one award. Like, yeah, yeah. What the hell is going on? So they did a coin flip. Like, wow. literally. <laughs> and of course, fate would have it. We would win the coin flip. The other person was mad as hell. I would be too, yeah. I right, like imagine. a coin flip. Like, I, fl- I, I flew from Finland to lose on a coin, you know? But I would say all of the little wins, plus at that moment, when we went back home with, like, tattoo of the day, we're like, shit. That's when I knew. I'm like, wow, Tristan is good, mm-hmm. you know? And I want to make sure that as his partner and co-founder, that I match his genius. And it was like, you know, like if you, if you're like a, if you're like a responsible person, yeah. if you've got like a strong backbone and you've got a partner that's kick-ass, you don't want to suck. A hundred percent. You know? And so you, yeah. you amp up even more, you know, if you're playing with Kobe Bryant, you know, if you're playing with Michael Jordan, you, if you care, you're going to go harder. Oh yeah. Right. And so I think that's kind of what happened to us. And then we were lucky, you know, from Tristan, and we had Tony, like an artist, and then we just kept winning and winning, and it was like, okay, you know. And so I do some of it. Some of it has to be fake. So, and this is this is something I want to I want to point out to the viewers, which I think is very 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 inter- uh, important because for me too, I've noticed that. So you don't have to win everything. You don't have to win the big one. You just have to get that first win. You just have to find that first win, 
to hold tough until that first win and then eventually it'll start to compound compound things get easier and things start flowing in yeah i'll go even further you don't even have to win at all you just have to last longer interesting you don't even have to last longer you you just have to last longer you don't have to win because and what do you mean by that because winning is so fickle like i don't think it should be like in business is so hard to to measure things as like wins and losses of course you should measure like milestones and like did we achieve something with this sprint or did we achieve something with this campaign but like it's a long journey and it's an ever-moving target like you can win in 2017 but lose massively in 2023 where, where the hell is blackbird like i don't know actually they're in security right now they're doing quite well but I didn't know that, but but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah where's I know exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where's Nokia? You know, maybe they're in the, like hardware or something, but they're not in the market that they were consumer cell phones. Got you it. You know? So I think like winning is cool and winning is important, but it shouldn't be overemphasized. And it's one, also, it's impossible to win in business. Like it's impossible to win in business because it's an infinite game. So I yeah. guess what you're saying is you like, unless have to, you have a goal and your goal is to like exit with a certain, you know, number in mind. Um, or, 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 or your win is like, I'm going to pass this on to like my kids or something. You know, unless you achieve that thing, you're not really winning. You're just on a journey. Like, and you're kind of like, some days are really good and some days could be really bad, you know? And so like, I, I actually de-emphasize winning more so just accomplishing little things that you set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I'd rather actually so keeping have, keeping it to, like keeping your own promises to yourself. Yeah. Like, obviously, you want pivotal, monumental growths, but, like, it's more important to just win constantly or, Got like, it. have little wins constantly as opposed to be like, oh, like, I want this massive thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, from there, where do you go from there? Yeah, because there's always going to be, like, what's next? What's next? Yeah. I just want to say something earlier, too, uh, when you were talking about the example of the camera with with your kid, because I, when I first met you as well, when we were out for dinner over here with Drew, um, you, your, I remember your son. I can't remember the exact situation, but your son fell or something, and he was looking at you, and you, and instead of like giving him the answer, or instead of telling him, "Hey, this is the way you should behave," you let him figure it out. You, you ask the right questions, and you let him figure it out. And I think like that is such a different mentality than from what I've seen um, in Canada in general. So I just want to know, like, what is your reasoning or thinking behind that? Because I, I think it's absolutely brilliant because you let them, you treat them more as adults. In a way. Like, yeah, I think kids or adults or like just anyone go as far as they believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. Again, back to that belief. Um, some people call it manifestation. Some people call it belief. Um, I just think that if you don't prepare them to solve problems, then they're unlikely to believe in themselves that they have the ability to solve problems. Right? So, um, how many times can you actually give them the answer? Yeah. And like, I don't know all the answers. Exactly. You know? So that's like a very short-term, narrow way of thinking, mm-hmm. I think. So I'd rather prepare them for challenges than to just solve the problem for them straight straight away. And But that is, I think, naturally an entrepreneur's um, mindset because I never really look at things in the short term. Obviously, I worry about tomorrow, Right. If you have operations, you worry about that. If you have sales, you worry about that. You do worry about tomorrow. But naturally, I think I can't really think of things that are like shorter than five years. Yeah. 
because that's literally the horizon that I'm always working with in almost any business that I'm dealing with, right? I don't have the idea of like coming into a business and just flipping it like next year for some fast cash. Everything that I do is generally brands and, and some for decades and most of them will probably be for decades. And so with that type of thinking, I can't help but prepare my kids for the long term. Got it. Got it. Right. And so if you think long term, then you think it's much better to just help them figure it out than to figure it out for them. Because figuring it out for them, that works tomorrow. Yeah. But it won't work when they're in university by themselves. You're basically giving them a fish instead yeah, of teaching could, them how. Who knows? Like it sounds morbid, but like I could not be here yeah. in like six years. 100%. You know? So so giving them the ability to to basically solve, solve their own problems. And then that's like, that's the entrepreneur mindset right, right there. Solving problems, solving problems. Awesome. So I have another question here about Chronic Ink. So Chronic Ink is renowned for its Mio traditional Asian ink. So what drew you to this specific style and, and how do you think it sets Chronic Ink apart from the uh, in the tattoo industry? So we were very lucky. We had two guys that were like, I don't know, it's hard to say, it's art subjective. But to me, they were like Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen. They were Kobe and Shaq. You know, and we had two of the best and then from there, they taught another six or seven of the best. And so we were rocking with a crew of like, I don't know, maybe seven to 10 of the best neo-traditional guys. You know, maybe to the outside world, they weren't the best, but to me, they absolutely were. Mm-hmm. You know, and to many people around Canada as well. Um, obviously, they inspired some of the best and some of the best inspired them. Um, but I think that happened organically and also strategically. Like... It's hard to say which one came first. So as an entrepreneur, I think you have to be very self-aware as we talked about many times. And part of that awareness is like aware, be aware of what you're good at, mm-hmm. right? You hear of these things many times like, oh, I started with this company. I didn't know it was going to be hot in like India. This app all of a sudden blew up in India. I didn't know that was going to happen. If you weren't self-aware, you would be like sticking to what you originally, like your original hypothesis was like, we're going to do gaming in Vietnam or something, Yeah, you know? But India is where it's popping. You should go to India. Your stats are telling you India is where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the organic part of it was just like Tristan and Tony was just really good at neo-traditional art. And because they were good at neo-traditional art, organically they attracted a lot of people who liked that style. And from there, you lean in strategically. Then you put then you put the ecosystem and this infrastructure around it. You put the marketing around it, you put the recruitment around it. You put like your sales funnel around it. Now you build out what you organically observed into like a larger scale thing. Got it. So so it's almost like it, I'm, I'm envisioning almost like an onion. And in the first layer, the most important layer was like the obviously the talent and the passion behind it. And then you and then you start adding things on top of that, like the marketing. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it's kind of like if you go to your backyard and, you know, like let's just say you know nothing about farming. You yeah. go to your backyard you've grabbed like 10 different types of seeds and you just threw them randomly into the backyard. But like you kind of did your thing. You watered them, you gave them sun, sunlight and whatnot. You know, you did your best to kind yeah. of like nurture each one of them. And then you see like the banana tree growing. Well, you'd be an idiot not to like go after the banana tree. Yeah. Like the pineapple guys are dying. <laughs> like haven't, haven't done shit, you know, and you're going to be like, oh, I love pineapples. You know, I'm just going to stick with pineapple. No, the banana tree is growing. Go get some bananas, bro. You know, like, so you lean in. All of a sudden we're, marketed as like the banana guys yeah right yeah and then i'm going to call banana restaurants i'm going to call banana supermarkets and i'm going to get like banana branding and i'm just going to be all in on banana and then like if there's a product it's going to be a banana bread 
you know? And then all of a sudden I'm known as like the banana. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's like the, the observation and then the strategy. So one doesn't go without the other. And I think what you said is, is very, is very interesting because when we first started, we were, instead of doing a talent agency, we were doing marketing and we were going door to door, selling our marketing, selling marketing. It was so hard because like you have to sell yourself. Right. But then just so happened to be, we're like, Hey, we have all these great people. Why not actually market them instead? They have all the skills. And had we, like you said, had we been stubborn, focused on the pineapples, we would have just done marketing forever. But we said, Hey, why don't we pivot and had a first client for the end of the day. So I think it's more important to, to have the vision, but be adaptable as to how you get there. If I'm kind of, uh, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah. I don't know anybody's businesses turn out exactly like how they envisioned it from like pre starting up. Yeah. There's like different stages, you know, there's like the pre startup idea. Then there's like the starting idea. Then there's like the post start idea. Then there's like the pre momentum idea. Then there's like the post momentum idea. Because you, like, you just never know. Yeah. You never know what you don't know. Yeah. And the information and then, at the next stage. And then at some point you realize one thing has tremendous magnetism, has tremendous um, velocity, and that's the thing you hammer. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think one thing we've done decent at is like we hammer the shit out of the thing that so, we're good at. So you, you saw the opportunity and you saw it work and then you grabbed it. Yeah, you hammer it like it owes you something. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, I, and I think there's like a, there's like a breathlessness and like an insatiable sort of like desire to be better, bigger, whatever your thing is that allows that hammer to just keep hammering. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it reminds me of this, of this, uh, anti- this uh, anecdote that I've heard from Pericles from this guy that used to be in, uh, in Greece. He was a great Athenian statesman. And he had this, he had this basically an analogy for like, how you should approach life. It was called the horse and the rider. Mm -hmm. So the horse represents like a human's emotional raw power. It's very, very powerful. It's passionate. Um, And the rider presents strength and intellect. So when the horse is overpowered, then it goes into trouble. It gets itself into predators. But if the, but if the, the mind or like say the rider is too strong, the horse's potential is wasted. So it's almost as if once you find the opportunity, once you find the intellect, then you unleash the full power of the horse. And that's kind of what you mentioned when you find that thing, then you you use your logic, you, you you set your course, and then you just unleash it. And because I'm I, that made me think because we were talking a lot about desire and the passion and the hammering, so I think that's pretty cool. What what's your philosophy when it comes to running a successful and creative business like tattoo, like the tattoo artist? Like, what do you mean by philosophy? Like, the, like a, what would our be, guiding principles? Sure, your guiding principles. That that's a good way to look at it for the entrepreneur, for the entrepreneur, sure, or for chron- or behind Chronic Inc. or or your specific, actually, principles for entrepreneurship. Don't give up. Don't give up. I know it sounds so, like, simple. Like, I could give you some very, like, uh, it sounds much better, more insightful strategies on, like, finances and, like, the art of raising money and, like, the art of storytelling. And we could do all that. But really, just don't give up. Like, yeah. Don't give up until you have, like, a very, very compelling reason to give up and you feel like going down this path is only going to be uh, hurting you more than helping you. Mm-hmm. I think there are times when you have to hang it up. Um, I haven't yet in the last 15 years on anything that I've done. Um, I'm not sure that's like a good thing or bad thing, but I know that our successes are a huge derivative of just not giving up because 
you might think you've done it. Like, so almost every business will experience, up, will experience ups and downs if you've been in it long enough. Yeah. And when you're up, you might be foolish enough to think that like, I've done it. Like yeah. I've built a great business. And the next thing you know, like there's like this cliff that you can't see. Always. As when they're like, you're just going to like fall off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Or there's this problem that you can't see that's going to like throw you into this like tailspin. But you have to work through it. You have to have like the pain threshold to work through it. Yeah. So I think entrepreneurs, if you if you can't withstand a significant amount of like mental, emotional, and maybe like physical pain, I don't think you should be an entrepreneur. Because there are just better ways to do things than to put yourself through that. Because I don't think like being an entrepreneur immediately equates to happiness and no. financial freedom. Like those are, it's not like a linear thing, right? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to be so happy and I'm going to like make lots of money. That doesn't like, it's not a straight line. And so like, I think it's really important to know that there's going to be so many challenges, but like you're the type of person that embraces that. Yeah. It's like, okay, like let's go, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for you. Like I'm happy to take these things on. It's interesting that you say, because there's always, there's always a roller coaster, no matter what it is, even in a safe way, let's say if you're just investing in the stock market and you just want to have, you know, that for 60 years, there's still ups and downs. There's still going to be that. It's just that the entrepreneur roller coaster is much more um, severe, I would say, and, and it's much more personal and emotional as well. But I, uh, I, I like the analogy of even when the, after the clip, like I enjoy roller coasters because it's fun on the way down. So you have to enjoy the way down as much as the way up or else. Yeah, I just think it's very hard to build. Like, if you're an entrepreneur that just want quick wins, and like, I think you can like do quick, quick cash grabs and, and stuff like that. I think these small miracles do okay, happen. Just turn your uh, mic, or with a toner, toner. Yeah. Yeah, so I think these small miracles okay. do happen. You can get cash grabs, and you can build things in a very short period of time, and there can be wins for you. But in most of my experiences, personally, and the things that I've studied, you probably can't win in the way that you've envisioned when you started out until you've done it for a long time. Yeah. And so if you can do something for a long time, it probably means you didn't give up. Yeah. And I think also one of the benefits of doing something for a long time is you start to get the compounding effects of it because like there's always, there's always uninformed optimism where you're most happy about the opportunity and then there's informed pessimism and that's where most people quit. But if you just keep going, you'll notice, okay, now you're informed optimism once again so i think staying on the train ride staying on the train is yeah, staying probably on the, the train most, is important yeah and as entrepreneurs we're often rewarded a lot for starting new things we kind of do the same thing that nature does nature produces a wide variety of like manifestations and then all the ones that don't work die off so it's kind of in the same way as we as entrepreneurs we start all this maybe one catches fire but then we have to pivot to not being rewarded for what we were originally rewarded for which is starting new things so how did you, or did are you keeping focused on chronic and expanding the business, or did you have this urge to start more and more and more things right after? Well, I like I'm almost of the belief that um, because the world is so big and you can sell either a product or a service to so many people, if you're a good, like a really good entrepreneur, there's probably no business idea that was like so terrible that you couldn't inevitably turn around to some decent business. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have like great ideas 
and great timing and products that affect a lot of people in order for it to be a great big business and a great big idea. But I, I just don't think like there, there's enough maneuverability um, and slow moving people around you generally for you to turn any mediocre idea into like a workable business. If you're that entrepreneur, like if you, if you, if you took like the best entrepreneurs in the world and you stuffed all of them in like, like the best of the best, you know, yeah. you stuff like the, the names that everybody can ring off, you know, you took those guys and girls and you put them into like mediocre businesses or like shitty businesses. Those businesses are going to be better by year two or three. Oh, hundred percent. Like yeah. dramatically. It's not like just like a, a luck thing. Yeah. You know, like no, there's yeah. a lot of skills involved that these people will, 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 will uh, employ. Oh, for sure. And start to detonate that business. So I think like a lot of times the idea is overemphasized mm -hmm. and like what business you pursue is overemphasized um, as opposed to like how you run the business and how long you stay in the business. Again, if you're trying to build a massive business and you want to have wins or like you want to have like small milestones fast, then you have to be in the, then you have to be in the right place at the right time with Got the right it. idea. So it's almost like any business could work, but it's, it's, it's which one you work on the most as an entrepreneur for say, but then obviously, like you said, like it, the timing does matter if it's these big, 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 like yeah. AI is probably the next huge billion dollar business coming out there very soon. Yeah. You can't build rockets if the technology isn't around yet. You yeah. know, you can't build rockets 50 years early. That, that makes exactly. So you have to time it. And what advice would you give to someone or maybe even to your younger self when you're looking to start a business, particularly, say, in the creative field or any field? Wow. So many advice. <laughs> Depends how long I have with my younger self. Um, probably um, stay the course in that any mistake you make is likely going to be so big that you can't recover from it. So when you're when you're in the pits of it, it's okay to obviously feel emotionally terrible and like go through the whole thing, but like know that you can come out of it if you start doing the right things and over time you can like bounce back. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Um, the other thing is I think the the, the importance of equity I think when you're young, a lot of times you start companies with your buddies yep. and you're like, oh, okay, okay, you take half, I'll take half. I don't know how many like times people do that. I think people do that a lot. That's exactly what we did. You know, yeah. like there's four guys. Okay. Like all four of us want to do something. Cool. 25, 25, 25, 25. It's very easy to get in bed with someone, but it's very hard to get a divorce. Mm. It's very messy. So I think like, and because business requires so much problem solving and communication and working with each other in order for it to become a big thing. Like in order for all four people to enjoy the fruits of that labor, you're going to have to go through a bunch of shit together. 100%. And you generally isn't equal. Like who just wakes up and finds three other buddies that are going to be like equally matched in energy and that are like synergistically like amazing for each other. And I'm going to solve this problem and you're going to be like perfect complement and you're going to solve that problem. And the four of us are going to come together like Voltron. Yeah. Like that never fucking happens. <laughs> it does not. Like it doesn't, right? It does like not. it's never like a perfect fit. Almost, actually, I would put a good amount of money that like if you just woke up and like 
looked around and picked your three buddies, and those three are your co-founders, it's more likely than not that those are not the right type of guys for you to share an equal amount of equity with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think like equity is so important because it's what gets you going. Yeah. Like that's why you work mm -hmm. in the business. You know, sure, passion, sure, I love it, but like you have to have shares in a business to work. So I think it's very important to be very aware. Don't rush into starting a business. Don't rush into signing shares. Don't rush into like who you're going to do it with. Like be very thoughtful about that whole process. And then when you're ready to do it, it doesn't have to be 50-50. It's okay. It's actually better to be like, I know I'm going to do less work. <laughs> I'll take a smaller share. If you are indeed going to go down that path of yeah. doing it that way. And I think like being very aware of your talents and your friends' talents in the early days will save you a lot of problems down the road and actually might be the deciding factor as to whether your company lives or dies. I think, I think you're hundred percent right too. Like me and we, me and my, my two partners, like we spent a lot of time like talking about this and going through it. And luckily we are a good fit and we're not just thinking about this one. We're thinking like businesses down the line, but I think what you said is very important because it's almost, you're choosing like your wife, if anything more, if anything, someone you see even more than your wife. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It's just like waking up and be like the first minute you're home. Yeah. That's going to be my wife. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Like it's yeah. just, what are the chances of that? Like exactly. the probability is pretty low. Yeah. Uh, so we're at three thirty now. I think uh, if you have time, we'll just ask one more question. Sure. Uh, and sure. Uh, okay, cool. Let's see. We got one last cool one here. Okay, cool. What's uh, what's next for Chronic Inc? Uh, are there any exciting projects or expansions on the horizon that you want to chat about? Yeah, absolutely. So on December eighth, we'll be soft opening our first ever U.S. studio. Amazing. That's going to be in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and I think the next evolution of Chronic Inc. Um, as it stands now, is sort of like matching the globalization of the world on social media to the globalization of services for us. I think that's that's certainly going to be one um, part of a strategy. The other part of it, I think, is we're going to move it away from an entirely service business mm -hmm. to a bit more of an e-com business. As you've seen, we've, yep. we've started with our jewelry line. That's right. Um, I think it's important because service businesses over time generally have a declining margin. It's very unlikely that you're going to have increasing margins unless you discover a new workforce in a new geographical area. So if you need that new workforce, you come to Town Trellis. <laughs> I did that for you. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's true though, right? Because if you stay in one area long enough, Every one of your costs are going to go up. Yes. If you stay there long enough, it just it's just that this is it's just nature, it's right? Inflation. Yeah. Your rents are going to go up. Your insurance is going to go up. Your supplies are going to go up. No one's going to charge you less next year for something that they charged you the year before. Yeah. Generally speaking, because things are not in infinite abundance, mm -hmm. right? It's not like they have so much overstock of anything that they can't get rid of it. Those are the only times when prices decline. Right, and when those things decline, your the economy is also generally matching that decline. Exactly. So you're not in a favorable position anyway. So if you're in a service industry, I think over time your margins will compress. Got it. Got it. No matter what. Yeah. Right. Is it's just how quickly they compress, and and when does it become not profitable for you? And so for us, we're realizing some of those compressions because we've been a 15 year old business. 
And COVID obviously, I think, um, jump-started even some of that even more with the wage spiral. You know, obviously a different way of working, you know, working from home, working for yourself. So like, I think it's very important to understand that the world is big, but it's more within reach than you think, mm-hmm. right? So like you guys are obviously an example of that, you yeah. know, like you can't be like, oh, like I'm going to start a business in Sweden. Like how? Well, no, it's actually not that hard no. anymore. You know, it's not much, much harder than starting a business in Bowmanville. Yeah. You don't know anything about Bowmanville either. Sure. There's contractual law. There's like real estate law and there's like other things that you don't know about, but that learning that and, and harvesting a new geo area might be better for you than just trying to spin in the exact same area that you've been spinning in over and over again because the margins won't improve if you're just five kilometers away. Yeah. I think that's one thing. And then I think being very like, um, don't don't pigeonhole your business and think like, oh, well, like I'm a hair salon, so all I'm going to do is hair and just cut hair forever. I think you have to like always zoom out and just be like, if I can make, if I can wave a magic wand, what would I transform this business to be? Got it. But I think one of the challenges some entrepreneurs are having with that is they're so caught up working in the business that they don't have they don't have the capacity to zoom out or be able to because they're so concerned about their baby and they want to grow it themselves. They don't trust anyone else to do the work for them. So I think you'll die. Yeah, that's one hundred percent right. You'll die. That's that's our biggest challenge. It's a slow death. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's like a much slower death because you're so hardworking, so you can fend off your challenges just by like sheer will. But at some point, the business structure just concaves around you. Yes, because you are the bottleneck. Not the only the bottleneck, but you are literally holding up all of the pillars by yourself. Yeah, and eventually the concave is so strong you can't fight it. That's a really good way to look at it. I'm going to use that when I talk to our future clients. Yeah. I always tell, because for me, it's, I always have to tell them, like, if you want order in your life, you have to relinquish control. And what I mean is like, you have to trust others, trust others. They can do it better than you would delegate it out. Cause that otherwise you won't grow. Otherwise you grow. Anyways, I think we're at the hour mark. Ricky, thank you so much for your time. I think it's been a pleasure. I've learned personally a lot. I know our audience is going to find it very useful as well. Are there any last words, last remarks, anything you want to promote before we let you go? Uh, not in terms of promotion, but I just think like, um, if there are people out there watching, I think it's important to know that, um, your tomorrow isn't your future. Like your present isn't your future. So for people who are enjoying success, I don't want to be morbid and be like, oh, like you're going to suck tomorrow. But I think it's just important to think of it as a long game. Yeah. You know? And so, um, enjoy your wins and, and enjoy your, enjoy your losses. <laughs> yeah. Cause tomorrow's another day and you got to get up and you got to keep doing it. You know, until you've sold your business to someone or you've handed it off, like it isn't over. Yep. And like for most people, that likelihood isn't like in the short term. 100%. So you better like buckle down and get ready for. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy and just get ride. like, yeah, be, 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 be a part of the journeys. Be happy about it. Yeah. I think that's like hard. And last question. Last question. Was it worth it? 100%. 100%. Like you're, you're sitting in my house and it's like. I'm not talking about like the, the square footage or like it's a beautiful cap, house, beautiful house. But, but I don't think I could have dreamed this house if I didn't dream the dream of being an entrepreneur. 
And like, I don't mean the house is like the physical, like the house part of it, but it's like the idea that you can build a life that you want. It's like, it's the, it's almost like a spiritual experience, like the spirit of the entrepreneur. Yeah. Like you can't imagine the life that you want if you can't imagine business that you want, because it's all comes from the same roots of imagination. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, you like if you're an imaginative person, yeah, if you're an imaginative person, then you can imagine all sorts of things for yourself. You can imagine your life going a certain way and you can dictate that. And you can imagine your business going a certain way and you can dictate that. You can imagine your job going a certain way. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. You could just, you could dictate your job. And did you visualize or did you like see, did you see this? In your, was this real in your mind, say the fruits of your labor per se, before you even had it all? Like, you, like did you have it um, mentally and emotionally? I think it's very crazy. Again, for me, maybe I'm a little bit um, paradoxical as a person, but I think a part of me always thought that I would make it, and that's part of that self-belief. And even now, I look at myself like I'm like I feel like I'm an underachiever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's and a, that's a symptom of entrepreneurship. Yeah, like I'm like, oh man, like what? I, how come I haven't done more with my business? Yeah. Like how come Chronic is in 50 countries? You know, like how come it's not better? Like how come our culture isn't better? How come how come our tattoos are not better? You know. Um, but then on the other side of it, like when I'm actually moving forward, so many times that I'm dealing with so many problems, it's like I'm not dreaming about like the big house or like the Lamborghinis or like, I'm, I'm not thinking about any of those things, you know? It's just like I'm head down, I'm working. So it's like I don't have this vision of grandeur, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so um, all I can say is I think, you know, just be really happy with winning and losing and be very comfortable in both. And don't, don't for one second think that either is permanent. Hundred percent. I think I think that's one of the best ways to end it off right there. Um, thank you so much, Ricky. Really appreciate it. I think this is going to be extremely valuable, and we look forward to doing this again sometime. Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, man. Thank you.